morning. We are f- oh. we are few, but well done for coming on this glorious day when you could be at the beach. Okay, right. Let's see if this is going to play. Yes. Okay, right. So we are in First uh, Thessalonians. Okay, in your Bible. And the book is a letter. It's considered uh, Paul's, probably his first letter he wrote. Um, and it's a really joyous letter to read because it's so positive. You know, sometimes you can read it and you think, oh, my life, this church was dying of disaster. Not here. This is a great church and Paul is well happy to be writing to them. Um, he is in the letter. He's uh, writing from Corinth. And he recounts how he went there and what happened. And they accepted uh, what he said as God's word and by the power of the Spirit. So it's those two things at work. Um, He recalls how they were persecuted, um, but some of them believed. Some people believed. And he leaves this fledgling, like, imagine a teeny little chick. There he is. This fledgling church is there. And they are immediately thrown into this whirlwind, hurricane, we might say, of persecution. So I want you to imagine leaving your baby chick now, and you're just going to leave it, and there's a hurricane going on. Okay, so that's how he is feeling when he writes this. Since then, uh, Paul flees Thessalonica because it is very, very bad there. Um, and he writes that he's repeatedly tried to get back, but that Satan has stopped him. He sees this as a real spiritual battle that's going on. He wants to return to his baby chick, but he can't. Okay, There's like barriers in the way, and he wants to get there. He writes, Satan has stopped us. He's very clear that he sees this uh, not as an earthly power that's stopping but a spiritual power that is stopping him returning. Um, But in the book, this first letter, he writes um, that he's just received news. And it's awesome news. His baby chick is growing into a hen. (laughs) Okay, he says they are standing firm to use spiritual language. They haven't lost their faith. They are standing firm. So let's read. I want you to find Thessalonians, and that is a tricky one even in itself. You need to go right to the back, and you find the teeny tiny little books that get lost. And it's First Thessalonians, and you find it on page 1,187. 1,187. So that's where you'll find it if you want to follow and you think, Lou, I don't agree with what you just said. Does it not say? And that's what I want to hear afterwards. Actually, no, I don't. (laughs) I want to hear. Yes, be encouraged. Okay, so let's read it together. And um, we're going to back up slightly, okay? And we're going to start from chapter 2, verse 13, all right? We'll read it all. So sorry. Should have got someone to read it, but I'll do it. 
So he starts with, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is a deed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people. That's him talking about the suffering. Uh, the same as those churches that suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Okay, so leave that there. Remember that's last week. John did loads on that. Jump down to 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Remember, that's what we've talked about, his, the spiritual enemy. For what is our hope, our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are glory and joy. And I want you to hold that and we're going to come back to that right at the very end. Okay. Chapter three then. So this is where we're picking up today. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens We sent Timothy, who is our brother and our co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in the faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might be in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in our presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we will see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Okay, hold that there, pop that on your knee. So today, we're thinking about real relationships. It's up there, okay? And as followers of Christ, uh, these relationships come with risk and reward. And those are the two things we're going to talk about today, risk and reward in those relationships. Um, Now, before I start, you know, we're talking now about a relationship that involves risk and reward. Therefore, it's a heavy investment. And I want to just start with a question. Have you invested heavily in someone in the past? Okay. But then it's turned out that uh, it's been hurtful to you or it's been a discouragement to you or... Um, you know, they, they've abandoned you in some way. It didn't turn out well. Paul writes in um, Thessalonians 2, verse 8, 
So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So that's the sort of relationship we're talking about, where you've shared your life deeply with someone, but they've let you down. And there's a temptation when we've been crushed by that to be angry, to then withdraw in the future. I don't want to invest in someone again. It's so painful. And this might have been, um, you know, a friend or a co-worker that you've you spent ages getting alongside them and encouraging them and telling about Jesus but it doesn't seem to have gone anywhere. Or it could have been a house group member that you, you shared deeply with. You felt that your friendship was so deep. And yet afterwards you maybe have felt a bit like, oh, was that really real? And that's the moment when it can be painful, it can be discouraging, it can be crushing. But as Christians, we don't get an opt-out of real relationships because we've been hurt. If you think about our example, Jesus, he fully, you know, he, he came into our situation uh, by becoming human and he risked a massive relationship. In our creation, it was a risk that we might reject him. He's poured out love into our lives, but there's the risk that human beings will say, I don't actually want to know you. As he approached Jerusalem, he wept. He said, oh, Jerusalem, if only you had recognized who was coming. The emotional pain we see of Jesus who comes offering relationship, pouring himself out, but not receiving it back. And of course, Judas. He is our example And so that's the kind of relationship we're called into. Not with everybody, but with some people. And it's risky. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And our first risk, yeah, I knew this wouldn't work, but it's easy because there's only a few. Uh, Risks and rewards. Our first risk is real relationships are risky because they leave us open to emotional burdens emotional burdens. Paul writes um, verse 1 of chapter 3, when we could stand it no longer. Okay, and he writes that again later on, when they could stand it no longer. Um, You ever found yourself carrying a problem or a difficulty, uh, maybe a family member struggling or a close friend, and you sort of, you feel burdened by it. It, It's really getting to you, but kind of, you know, it's not right that you share that with everyone, is it? This is kind of something you're carrying. Um, And you're sort of doing well, you're going to work, and you do it all, and you smile, and you do what you're supposed to do, but then suddenly you find yourself telling the checkout lady everything about what's just happened in your life. You kind of lose it completely because you can't keep a lid on it. And this is... This is what the Greek word means here. It's like when you can stand it no longer, when I couldn't keep a lid on it any longer, when it all came kind of splurging out. Um, it, it means it's like to have a roof or a cover on something. Paul's saying, when the mask slipped, when I couldn't contain it any longer, I had to send Timothy to you. Now, understand about Timothy. He's only been with them a couple of months, possibly. Um, 
He's young. He's perhaps inexperienced. He's about to send him on this journey. And it's not like us now where we have email and we've got travel insurance and we're going to fly on easy jet and we're going to pop over. No. So here they are in Athens. Paul can stand it no longer. His emotional burden for his little chick is so much that he sends off this other baby little chick to go and find how are they doing. And it's going to be two to three weeks. He's going to be journeying. It's going to be hard. He's sending them into this whirlwind. Imagine what's left. When he was left, they dragged out Jason and his family into the square. Um, They had to play bail. It was horrendous. They snuck him out. Before that, he was in Philippi. He's sending them into this very aggressively uh, anti community who is saying we don't want anything to do with Jesus here and he's sending baby Timothy into that and he's not going to know anything about him nothing at all for the next few weeks but he desperately wants to know how their faith is That's what he wants to know. How is their faith? If you turn with me, you don't have to, but if you want to go to 1 Corinthians, so you just go back a few pages in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll just find that together. And it's verse 2 and 3. And this is um, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. And um, Corinth is where uh, Paul stops and he writes this letter. So this gives us a bit of an indication to his emotional health when he writes the letter. How is Paul when he's writing this? He says, For we resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, And we don't want to put things on Paul, but I'm thinking, you know, when he says, I came with weakness, uh, fear and trembling think about where he's come in philippi he's be- beaten with rods he's put in prison he goes to thessalonica he, there he's driven out by this angry crazy mob he goes to berea berea nice but then the mob come from thessalonica to drive him out this chaos behind him he gets to finally gets to corinth How are you going to be feeling? I mean, sometimes we can think Paul is this, you know, great man. He had no problem. Yes, come beat me again. I don't think so. Fear and trembling. He desperately wants to know what has happened to those believers in Thessalonica. Everywhere he goes, he brings this tyrant of trouble. And the questions are tumbling through Paul's mind. You know, he left this earthquake. How are they doing? How is Timothy doing? Has he survived? Did, they get, did he go to prison? Is he even alive at this point? You know, I think about this. What relationship do you have? That you have a desperation to know how their faith is doing. Is there anyone? Is it a child? Is it a parent? Is it uh, another brother and sister you've walked with for years? Is it someone you had that intimate relationship with, but they seem to have gone? Well, who are you desperate to know how they're doing in their faith? 
The emotion we see here to, um, to meant to feel in, is only in certain Christian relationships. Let's just be there. Okay, don't feel you're going to get overwhelmed. Because Paul is vulnerable. And that, um, our second risk of real relationships is disappointment. There's a risk of disappointment for you. What will happen, what will have happened to their faith, these Thessalonians? Will they have quit? And the word vulnerable, when we put ourselves in that relationship, comes from the word to wound. It means to open yourself up to be emotionally or physically wounded. And we all know, if we've been in relationships with others, what that is like. Paul wants to know, I've opened myself up. I shared my life with you. I made myself vulnerable. I've been worrying my head off about you. Is he going to be disappointed by what Timothy brings him back. We'll, let's look at verse 5. Go back to Thessalonians. Flick over the page again. 3 and verse 5. Okay, so it's about, I can no stand it no longer. I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Our work might have been in vain. Vain. You know, will the trials that they faced have been enough pressure to squish them? Trials, this word, is like a pressing. If you imagine like a, let's go for an apple press. That's the kind of word that he's using, to press you or to push you. Imagine you're on the stage now and I'm just going to push you off the edge. Off you go. Um, he's using that. It's used in Mark where he's, you know where he gets in the boat because the crowds are pressing in? It's that sort of word. That's the word that he's using here. Has what they've experienced, their tribulation, their trials, their suffering, pressed them to give up their faith? Imagine you're on a rugby field, okay? So here we all are. You're going to really have to use your imagination now. But here I am. I'm on the rugby field and I'm ready. Okay, if I'm not ready... That rugby player is going to take me out in a second. He's going to take me out anyway. But imagine I'm the same size as him. Okay. (laughs) You get ready, don't you? You need to get ready. And the Christian life is a bit like that. You know, we're not just skipping along. I'm just going to score a goal. A try, isn't it, in rugby? Try. We're just going to score this. No. It is hard work. There are trials. There are real enemies against us. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Don't be surprised when a fiery ordeal comes upon you. You The Christian walk is difficult. It says elsewhere that your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a lion. I wonder, you know, I was thinking, when was the last time I really thought, oh, he is prowling. You know, he wants to take you out. And what does he want? Yeah, he wants your family, he wants things like that. He wants your faith. That's what he wants. He wants your faith. Verse 4. What does he say? Oh, I've lost my page. I'm all over the place today. Chapter 3. He says, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And why does he do that? 
Because when you know it's coming, you can get ready. I have no idea about rugby, but, you know, I do this for you guys. (laughs) We're ready. When you're ready, you're not going to fall. If you've been told Christian life is a joy, you are going to fall and think, what happened? It is hard work. Your enemy prowls. So he is saying, I told you you're going to be persecuted. What's happened? Okay. Verse 5, what does he say? For this reason, I'm going to stand longer. I sent about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors would have been in vain. And that's our third risk of real relationship, isn't it? Worry. You worry about them. You feel a bit sick about them. You're so desperate for them to know Jesus, to go on with Jesus, to not give up with Jesus. They're on your mind day and night. That's the third risk of these real relationships. When we want to get deep, it's a headache. Will my children, my best friends, person I've befriended, I've studied scripture, are they going to go on with the faith. In Alpha, we see it again and again. We have people, we come, we love them, we get to know them, we pour ourselves out, and we see people walk away. It happens. We've been in relationship with others. In a house group, we've seen people walk away. It hurts, but there is no opt-out of this. We're not in control. That's the, that's the one where it really hurts is when we think if we try a bit harder, if we work a bit harder, if we're a bit nicer, actually we're not in control. So remember that. That's just a side thing. But what's the reward? So we talked about the risks. What are the rewards? Now, I want you to imagine Paul's in Corinth. He's got no idea what's going to happen. Okay, there they were. He's got no idea what's going to happen. And in burst Timothy. He didn't get a text saying Timothy's on his way. No. Didn't get a, a carrier pigeon. Boom. Timothy's in the world. And what does he say? They're standing firm. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and imagine it. Just imagine. He says more than that. He says they've got pleasant memories. Can you imagine pleasant memories? What were the memories of Thessalonia? Oh, yes. Jason was dragged out into the village square. They had to... Get Paul out at night. Pleasant memories and that they long to see him. Can you imagine? Paul's been writing, they're longing to see them. It's the greatest moment, isn't it, when a friend returns your love. And not just romantic, but a friend too. You've invested in them and they say, oh, I feel the same way about you. Or in church, if you're um, maybe an older person, you've invested in a younger person and you've been praying for them and they say, do you know, you're like a granny to me. Oh, it's so beautiful. Or the other way around, you know, they say, uh, oh, you know, I feel like you're my daughter or my son. You know, I kind of adopted you. That beautiful relationship. Or I want to make you my spiritual sister. I've got some in the church. We said, we're like cousins. You're like family to me. And that's it. It's not going to change. That beautiful, mutual relationship that you can have. And that's what Paul's feeling here. They feel the same way. It's mutual love. And out of that, of course, comes joy, immense joy. This is an opportunity for immense joy. I just popped those up. Read verse 7 and 8. 
What does he say? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. You know, joy is what Satan wanted to stop when he kind of tries to stop Christian brothers and sisters finding out or meeting up. Yeah, don't go to house group. Stay home. There's a great thing on telly. For me, you could watch a history program. I'm very sad. Um, But he's trying to stop that joy because when you don't meet up, Satan can fill your mind with all sorts of things. Discouragement, kick you down. They don't care about you. They don't even care you didn't come to house group this week. Oh, did they text you? No. It's all there. He wants to steal the joy that comes when Christians are living in this sort of relationship. You know, Paul's asking, did we risk our lives building this church, you know, sharing a gospel? Was it for nothing? No, it's not. Timothy's come. First words, how's their faith? It's good. They're standing firm. And you can imagine Paul, he's like doing cartwheels, hallelujah, Satan will not win, no weapon formed against you can prosper. He's burst into song and he says, get my pen. I'm writing them a letter right now. And this is the letter that we read. That letter, that moment, is what he puts the pen on the paper. Give me that paper. Give me that pen. I'm writing now. When we invest in people, there are huge risks, but there are great rewards. You know, he's ready. And the third reason, of course, is that when we're walking closely with someone in real relationship we have an opportunity to see God at work in their lives. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You not only get the joy of your own relationship and your own prayers answered and the own things in your life, but you get to be encouraged by what God is doing in their life. When a light bulb goes on, when a mountain is moved, you get to celebrate with them. You get to see up close God at work. And we don't get to see that with everyone. It's impossible. There's too many of us. But we do get to see it with a few. Verse 9, uh, chapter 3, he says, uh, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Pretty good, isn't it? That kind of woohoo moment when you know that God's broken through in someone's life. And we've seen up close how God has worked, um, and we declare, and He's sort of saying, you know, we pray day and night that we might see you again. We get to join in with God, what God's doing. So, to conclude, and we're going to stop there. Yay! The relationship we're called to is risky, but it's full of reward. It can have burdens, disappointments, worries. But it's also full of that love, joy, and privilege of seeing God at work in others' lives. So when we think about how this applies to us, we're not all church planters. We're not like Paul. We're not all pastors. We do have the responsibility of, of, of the burden. Of you know, Paul talks about the burden for the churches. We don't have that. But we do have a responsibility to make disciples. Every single person sitting here has that responsibility to make disciples. So I want you to begin this next session by just asking the Spirit, 
who have you called me to invest in in that sort of relationship? You know, maybe one person, if there's no one, it might be two, it might be three. It might be that you've had that relationship, but it's sort of drifted and you're, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that. I was doing it, I'm not. Well, there's a few people that God's put on your heart, maybe in church, maybe in school, maybe in your family. Who are you investing in? Who are you so passionate to know how their faith is doing? Um, and it's not a casual relationship, this. This isn't just, oh, I saw them at church. I said, how are you? They said, fine. No. This is meeting them regularly, you know, in a house group or in a prayer triplet or in a one, kind of one-to-one with a friend. And you're saying, you know, how is that thing going that we've been praying about? How is your relationship with God going right now? You know, are you struggling? I'm struggling too. Let's pray about it. There's um, a good app if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I'll bring it up if I can. It's this nice yellow one. Let's see if I can go. Can let me go. Hmm, let me go home. Anyway, it's called Prayer Mate. You can ask me about it later. If you if you go to the app store, it's a yellow one. You can put all your friends, your closies in here, and uh, you can sync across your devices. I know, Howard. <laughs> I know you're excited. <laughs> No, not at all. Anyway, you can. If you're not like paper and pencil person, you can record it. You can record it, and it will record that for you. So you can look back like, oh, a year ago, we were praying about this, weren't we? Well, you said this was happening in your life. How's that going right now? So it's a bit, what I'm saying is, it's a bit more intentional. I'm not saying you need to use this. I'm just saying it's one way of being intentional about those relationships. You need to have a record. You can't just rock up and occasionally go, oh, when was the last time I saw you? Oh, yeah, it's a couple of years, wasn't it? No, this is not that sort of relationship. This is a full-on relationship. So be asking the Spirit, who are those relationships with? And uh, the other thing I want to say is no one gets excluded. You know, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm too young, I've not been a Christian long, I'm a rubbish Christian, I'm struggling even to keep my faith as it is, you're not excluded. Okay? No one gets to sit. If you want to follow Jesus... He said, make disciples. You need to be meeting with people. You need to be encouraging them. Even if it's just, I have failed a million times this week, but I want to go on with Jesus. How about you? How have you failed this week? Hey, let's commit that we are going to keep trying to follow Jesus. Let's pray for each other. No one gets excluded. And I want to finish with one thing, and that is chapter 2, verse 19. I said, we'd come back to it, you see. This is our final thing, 2.19. He says, for what is our hope? This is Paul and his team. Our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are glory and joy. And I just want you to finish with that image of a crown. And remember, they would have like a wreath. This is from like the games that they would do at the time. So he's drawing that imagery And the victor would win a crown. Okay. And he says, the crown is you. 
I've invested in you. And when I stand before Jesus, when he's coming, and he's coming soon, because there's a lot of that in Thessalonians. He is coming, he is coming, he's coming. When I stand before Jesus and I'm wearing my crown, my crown is you. So I want to leave you with, who is your crown? Who are you investing in? Who do you have that real relationship with? Scary, risky, full of rewards. Who is your crown? That is it.